Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast. Again, I'm joined by guest host Dr. Zach Shuttler, and we're continuing our series on transformational leadership. How are we doing today, Zach? I'm doing awesome, Jamal. How are you? Brand new year. Yeah, it trying is. To get, uh, trying to get back on a routine after after Christmas break. Usually, I'm pretty quick at getting back in my routine, but I tell you what, when that alarm clock goes off at 5.30 the last couple of days, um, a little bit more of a challenge than it was in mid-December. It always takes a couple of weeks for you to get back in the groove. I'm still trying to walk off. Well, I'm still in the middle of break right now, but man, I, I know that when I get back, I'm going to be trying to walk off these uh, holiday panels. I don't know about you. I feel like uh, I feel like coming back from any type of vacation or break, it almost needs to be treated like the NFL preseason. Maybe <laughs> we, we, play, we, we play a series the first day maybe play a half the second day, get into the third quarter on the third day. Yeah. And then the fourth day is when we're ready for the, for the full game. You forgot the acclimation process. We gotta, we gotta get outside and expose ourselves to the heat and then put our helmets <laughs> on and then go, go through and then have a practice before we can do all that. No but hitting I, until five days, right? Or right. Something like that. Some, whatever it is, however many hours you need to acclimate, I feel like uh, we need that some days, but today we're talking about, um, just some real world examples of transformational leadership. And I'm gonna let you uh, uh, really just take us away with, you know, we'll be talking about some case studies, some lesson learned, some lessons learned from these examples and reflections. And we'll reflect on the challenges and the rewards that are associated with it. But go ahead and kick us off um, on this topic today. Yeah, um, I did my, as we talked about it on our first, first session, I did my dissertation study on uh, transformational leadership theory and its impacts in education. So through that process, I read several case studies. I read several research articles that the majority um, really confirmed um, the hypothesis that transformational leaders are much more effective than uh, transactional. Mm -hmm. And so many things go into that. Um, and the support is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And some of the, some of the things that I'm going to share with you today, Jamal, um, I think clearly articulate that being transformational and focusing on the individual and trying to model behavior is much more effective than trying to dictate or manipulate people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, so get us, get us going today. Where are we starting at? Okay. I think, um, I think where we should start is, um, with, and I, I am a superintendent, I am an educator, so we'll start in the educational realm. Okay. And there was, there was an article, um, a research study done by a gentleman named Pounder in 2009, mm -hmm. where um, he interviewed several students and the characteristics that they described in what made an effective teacher were transformational in nature. Okay. Um, that teachers that moved around the classroom, teachers that had um, positive body language, teachers that smiled, teachers that had um, very expressive facial expressions, that those types of teachers were perceived um, by students to be much more effective. Um, teachers that challenged them individually, teachers that modeled behavior right. um, were more effective than teachers that were overly demanding without having the transformative piece, teachers mm -hmm. that were um, 
stagnant in their movement around the room, teachers that were monotone in nature, teachers that weren't very expressive. So um, I thought that was a, a pretty good study that articulated how important it is to be cognizant of your leadership style and cognizant of you know how you present yourself in the classroom to students or to your team. Right. And as you as you were as you were talking, I started to think about like my favorite teacher. And I would say one of the most transformational teachers that I ever had. And and I've shared this on this podcast and not to go too uh, deep in the weeds on this, but I, I I'd spent some time in alternative school um, in, in my in my district. And I went to alternative school. I got kicked out of alternative school. I went to like the super alternative school. And this school was like in, in like an office building behind like a right across the street from our prison, Orient Road Jail, I'm sorry, Orient Road Jail. And um, I had a teacher, his name was Mr. Davenport. And um, I don't remember a lot of what he taught outside of, I was in the fourth grade, outside of long division and how to write a um, five paragraph essay. But I remember uh, him, he, he taught me how to tie a tie he was, he had a military background. So he taught us like he, he would take us outside and do formations with us and just different things like that. But I remember him really, he never, I don't think he ever cared about what we were learning as much as the importance of being able to learn and the significance that it had on our future. He says that basically, if you can't do math, you can't be successful in life. So I'm gonna show you how to do math without a calculator. I'm gonna show you how to do it with a calculator. He says, you know, you need to be able to write to communicate. I remember him teaching me the reasons behind why we needed to learn certain skills, but I also remember him being a very extremely integral part of the reason why I was able to get out of um, alternative school back into a traditional school. Um, he impacted my life. So, you know, if he ever listens to this, I, I don't have communication with him, but I definitely, uh, he came to mind as um, someone who was transformational and he did have a lot of those qualities himself. You need to uh, look him up and see if you can find his email address and send him the link. You know, you know, you know, the interesting thing is I, I've, I have tried, I've tried and I know people that, that know him, but I, I can't find him. So again, if, if y'all can find Mr. Davenport, uh, from foundations, uh, I think it was middle school, but foundations alternative school, I, I'd greatly appreciate, uh, connecting with him, uh, again, but, uh, that's, that's a great idea for a next podcast is we can, we can reach out to students to find teachers that they had that they can't track down to, to offer them thanks and praise. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that would be, that would be an awesome, awesome thing for us to do because I think it's extremely important. Um, I'm at a point in life where I feel like it's extremely important to let people know now before it's too late, the impact that they've had on my life or on the lives of the people that they that they impact um you know and what and what a perfect segue to my next my next study um it's by a gentleman named adam grant who is very well known as an organizational psychologist he wrote some really awesome books um i think think again was the mm -hmm. last book of his that i read and he did a study on gratitude jamal mm -hmm. and the benefits of showing gratitude mm -hmm. and 
as they say, a, a team takes on the personality of its coach, right? Displays of gratitude then lead to subsequent displays of gratitude. Mm-hmm. In his study, he found that when you show gratitude to somebody else, it leads to them engaging in more pro-social positive behavior. Mm. So a large component of transformational leadership is displaying gratitude and modeling what you want to see and treating people with respect and consideration. And what Grant, Grant found, and again, he's very well known, very renowned in his field, is that by showing gratitude and displaying gratitude, you increase the likelihood that the person you interacted with and showed gratitude towards will display pro-social gratitude towards the people they interact with. Wow. So, you know, as even as you were talking then, I started to, I started to think about how as, as a leader or being under leadership, I've always the, the most excited I've, I've been about work or anything is when the leader, when my leaders have operated from a place of gratitude or they've treated me with, with grace, mercy, kindness, and gratefulness that then allows me to go in and the people that I'm leading under their leadership go and um, treat them the exact same, the exact same way. And, and it almost becomes ingrained in what we do. And I find it interesting how when you don't operate from that, it doesn't take long to fall into the pit of ungratefulness and just a, a, a way of work that that is not consistent with gratitude and all of the benefits that it entails. What are your thoughts? Uh, it, it leads me to, to a story um, that I saw on NFL films with Mike Tomlin, who I've mentioned in a previous episode. And I shared this with you too. They were playing the um, Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas Eve. And I think it was eight degrees. It was on Christmas Eve. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the backstory to the conversation was, but Mike Tomlin to a couple of players and coaches said, you know, I could be in Newport news right now wearing steel toed boots, working in a shipyard. Mm-hmm. And I think it was his way of, letting his players and his coaches know that, Hey, even though the environment is tough, even though a lot of us might rather be home with our families on Christmas, Mm -hmm. I am grateful for my opportunity to lead the Pittsburgh Steelers and to um, advance beyond what people expected of me when I grew up in Virginia. And I thought that was just such a powerful message to be caught on, on audio that he shared um, with a couple of players and coaches on the sidelines that, he was grateful for this opportunity, even as someone who had won a Super Bowl, had been coaching in the league for 16 or 17 years, mm-hmm. that he was still grateful for the opportunity and the the external circumstances of it being eight degrees with 30 mile an hour winds and Christmas Eve didn't damper his his level of being present in that moment. Right. And I think I think it's important for us to if like I, I if you will, if you're listening to this, just pause. Pause the recording right here, but like really pause and think about all of the things that you have and that you're capable of. All of the count, like count all of the positives in your life. Um, I, I before we started recording this a little bit earlier um, in the day, me and you, we were having a conversation, and I was telling you how I need I needed to slow down 
and really operate more from a place of gratitude and allow myself to be grateful and also content with the things that I that I currently have because I feel like sometimes as people we can get sidetracked or deviated from our um or deviate from our our purpose or whatever it is that we're doing because of the things that that we haven't obtained yet whether it be through ambition or things that we don't have or are lack and we tend to focus on uh things that are not really impacting us right now um but i think if we if we slow down and operate from that place of, of gratefulness and allow ourselves to be grateful for the things that we have nothing really changes around you but it's so much more inspiring and motivating and encouraging to operate from that place, knowing that it's never as good as you think, it's never as bad as you think, but it's always somewhere in between. But having what you have, like a, a lot of us that are gonna listen to this or go through, we've accomplished a lot in life. And I think it's, I think it's noteworthy for us to celebrate some of the things that we've accomplished as individuals. And I think that spreads to others um, as well. That's a great message, Jamal. And Michael Gervais, the um, performance psychologist, talks about that, that if we want to be truly great, we have to demand presence of ourselves. And coming off the Christmas season, I've been guilty of this a lot, always looking ahead or always questioning, you know, where I want to be or what I want to do next. But, mm-hmm. you know, looking around my living room on, on Christmas Day and just having the presence to be grateful for my wife and my kids, um, it's 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 powerful when you, when you press pause, mm-hmm. I did something with my kids that I hadn't done before. My parents have a, a pond in their backyard. It was like minus six, a few days in a row at, in Ohio. And um, a few days after Christmas, we went and ice skated on the pond. I had wow. never done that before. And um, just being with the kids in that environment in nature and ice skating and seeing the ducks um, in the center of the pond, trying to stay warm and how they survive the winter and exploring parts of the pond that you can't when it's not frozen and seeing the, you know, the, the tracks of the various animals and wondering if that's a bobcat or a wolf track and um, seeing how curious your kids are and being present in those moments and not worrying about work or not worrying about your career. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that, that, that matter. And Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that, the leaders that are able to sustain themselves can do. And it's been hard for me. I mean, it's been a challenge to, to be present and be in those moments. But the older I get, um, the more that I, I'm valuing those moments with my family and my kids. And even at work, I mean, I get to lead a school district. That's that's a blessing. Yeah. And the pressure that comes with it is is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, could, you could be at the steel mill in Newport News. Uh, mm-hmm. We could be somewhere. We could be somewhere else um, that we're not right now. And just like you said, just taking a moment to allow to allow ourselves to be grateful for those things sometimes is is a challenge. Um, I want to transition though. What are some things? What are some What are some things outside of gratitude that we can learn from some of these examples? Or if you have another example that you want to add? Yeah, I've got a I've got a series of examples. I know you and I both have sports backgrounds. I read a book a few years ago by a gentleman named Sam Walker. And okay. I would highly recommend anybody who leads an organization or leads a team to read this book. So what he did 
Mm -hmm. um, what Sam Walker did, he wrote a book called The Captain Class. Mm -hmm. And what he, he did in his study, um, he looked at teams that were successful for long durations of time, not teams that just won one World Cup or one championship. They won for a long period of time. And what he found was the success of that team directly correlated to the quality of the captain of the team. Mm -hmm. So he didn't, um, he didn't devalue the coach or the coaching. The coaching was right up there. But teams that sustained success for long periods of time, he correlated directly to the captain of the team who was out on the field sweating and, and bleeding with the, the other players. And then he came up with a list of seven things that great leaders or great captains do. And those were the, the things that I was going to kind of talk about here for the next few minutes. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the first thing he talked about what a great leader or a great captain does is that they have this um, doggedness that they just keep coming. Mm -hmm. So you look at somebody like Tom Brady, and I know sometimes he gets criticized and I know he can often be polarizing because how intense he is. Yeah. But if you see him throughout his career on the sidelines, whether it's being critical of himself or, um, you know, jawing with other guys on the field or even with his own offensive line, he just has that tenacity, that doggedness where he just keeps coming. Mm -hmm. And a big piece of that is how somebody reacts to failure. When things don't go your way, do you shut it down? Do you fake an injury and ask to come off the field, call in a sick day at work or ask somebody else to do the job? Or do you just never stop and look at failure as a way for a way to improve yourself or improve the people around you? So the first thing he talks about is that great leaders, great captains, they just keep coming. Okay. The second thing that Walker talks about is that um, great captains, they're willing to commit intelligent fouls. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that, kind of the process of innovation or calculated risk, they're not willing to break the rules, but they're willing to push things within the boundaries as far as they can go. And they get to the point where they're so comfortable with themselves they're not so much concerned with other people's perceptions of them as they are concerned with being successful and helping those around them succeed. They're not concerned about the outside perception. They're concerned with the internal perception and what they're doing to help their team. Wow. The Just, third thing, go ahead. Before you move on, I want to, I want to pause right there and I want to, I want to encourage myself and also encourage others. Like the, 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 the the mind frame of what you just described to me is living in the gray um the intelligent file understanding and just the space and time or just wherever you are there's a lot of things that came to mind when you said that about some of the things that i'm practicing but it it really goes back to if you have something that's unorthodox or outside of the box right now in school excuse me in schools or you're trying to do something that may you know bend the rules a little bit or or is and it's going to make a significant impact on on those students try it you have nothing to lose and everything to gain because again making those improvements sometimes sometimes we do things for the sake of this has been done this way for the last 30 years and there's really no precedent to do that same thing now but i live in the gray it's okay but keep going dr Scheller. Oh, very good. And um, <clears throat> the third thing that Walker talks about is that 
great leaders, they carry the water. Mm. And what's interesting about his, his study, his book, he talks about that most people that end up in leadership positions are the wrong people. Mm-hmm. That truly great leaders are servant leaders. They do it, they do it because they want to see other people become great. Wow. However, most people that end up in leadership roles do it because they want power. Huh. So inherently, most people that end up in leadership positions are the wrong people for the position. Right. That the the great ones, they're willing to carry the water. They they do small acts of kindness or they do small, meaningful things to um, to show others that they're not above anyone. That they're they don't do everything, but they're willing to do anything. Wow. Okay. Um, the fourth one is um, practical practical communication. And mm-hmm. the example that he uses in the book is um, Tim Duncan, the uh, basketball player who went to Wake Forest and then had a great career for the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that if you watch Tim Duncan play, he was um, he was very unemotional. Um, he was not a yeller and screamer, but he practiced practical communication. And a big part of practical communication isn't what you say. It's what your body language is implying that you're thinking. Huh. So his ability to stay level, stay cool, stay calm, stay collected, not get too up and down. Um, his opinion, based on his research, is more valuable than spoken words, that we interpret more of people's body language than even what they say. Wow. And just going back to some of our some of our other episodes what people can see like your action your actions speak and uh you know what you just referred to is something that i think myself and some other people refer to as emotional stability um you know chaos is gonna happen there are gonna be things that happen you know that are beyond the realm of our control we're gonna call some things happen we're gonna we're gonna drop the we're gonna drop the tray um so to speak but um but being able to always think and remain calm and collect the emotional stability allows our minds to stay on because I remember um, one time a couple years ago I was in front of my staff and you know this wasn't like a big significant moment I was an assistant principal and I was explaining something that I had explained a hundred times before and we and it was a small little professional development that I was conducting for my staff. And I remember looking at, you know, so, someone's reaction or someone's body language. And um, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a positive exchange. It was like a, you know, kind of like the eye roll. We've all been there. We've but all that, been there. Yeah, that, but that right there, it caused me to literally stop thinking. And I felt my emotions start to to rise. It was like, oh man, like I'm I'm not doing a good job. And in my like my mind shut down for a little bit. And I was trying to get words out and they were not coming out. And I just I had to, I literally had to pause. And then one of the people, uh, one of one of the teachers looked at me, he says, You got this. And then my mind turned back on. And I started to go through that process. Um, I didn't freak out or anything like that, but internally there was something going on, um, but I was able to stand still and, and regulate those things. So I think it's important for us as leaders 
um, to, to realize that, you know, sometimes our emotions can cause our brains to shut down. And as leaders being level and emotionally stable and mastering um, our emotions in, in times uh, or critical times is important because it allows us to think and us thinking allows us to lead and us thinking allows us to connect with people and to continue initiatives or, or moves or even in times of crisis, it allows us to potentially save lives and keep keep people safe. The, uh, the old saying, the, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear anything that you say. Hmm. Hmm. Um, the fifth one is calculated acts. Okay. And um, this is um, the example that he gives in a sports-related theme is the Steelers linebacker from the Steel Curtain, uh, number 58, Jack Lambert, um, that he talked about that his, um, his presence um, his actions on the field that were sometimes intentional set the tone that he was willing to stand up and protect his teammates. Um, there's a great example from one of the Super Bowls. Um, the Steelers field goal kicker misses a kick mm -hmm. and the Dallas Cowboys player um, pats the kicker on the helmet. And then the next thing you know, Jack Lambert grabs the guy by his jersey and throws him down in the ground and points at him. Now, you can't obviously do that in the office no but that calculated act by jack lambert on the football field that day what did it tell his teammates it, it screamed that i care about you and no matter yes. good bad or indifferent i got your back and nobody's gonna i'm not gonna let anyone embarrass you mm -hmm. so calculated acts by a leader or a captain speak volumes uh, number six on his list was sharing uncomfortable truths mm -hmm. and he talked about we need to find ways, not just in sports, but in organizations to um, allow feedback to be instantaneous, that keeping score is a good thing because we immediately see how we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I tried to translate it that into real world examples. I stopped by um, our girls basketball practice and our coach Scooter Tolsta, who um, is a Hall of Fame coach in high school. Mm -hmm. um, when they're doing drills, the scoreboard's on, they're keeping track of how many shots they make, the mm -hmm. buzzer's going off. They're getting instant feedback the entire practice on what they're doing, even though they're just doing drills. Oh, and wow. then um, we have a strong partnership with Chick-fil-A. And I took a tour of their, um, their facility um, mm -hmm. last year and they have all the data up on a giant flat screen about how long it's taken to serve their customers, how many people they're getting through the drive-through line. And that instant feedback drives behavior um, in a very concrete way, as opposed to people sharing opinions. So oftentimes in a social service like education, that can be a little bit more of a challenge, uh -huh. but trying to find ways to share the uncomfortable truths Mm -hmm. and share the uncomfortable truths to where it's more instantaneous so people have the opportunity right there to adjust how they're operating. Right. And um, just to add to that, I was I was in a training, um, a Stephen Covey training that my district had. Um, and Steve, uh, they just wrote a book on the four disciplines of execution for educators. It's, it seems to be a much, well, it definitely is a, is a shorter read than the original, and it's designed specifically for educators. And one of the things that resonated with me in the training um, was she talked about, you know, like, just like I said, keeping score or having a scoreboard. And then, you know, with with the scoreboard, or she, she said, in your school, is your data posted? 
And if, if your data is if, if if your data is posted, do the kids know what they need to do to move the data? Mm-hmm. So so it's it was so practical. She said, uh, you know, if I go up to a kid, do they understand where they are in relation to that data? And two things that they need to do every day to move the needle forward. So she gave an example of a kid who was, you know, a, a mid-range kid, right? I'm gonna say a level two on a scale to one, one to three, right? In, in the middle. And, he, and she asked that kid, we know what he needs to do to move the needle forward. And the kid was like, basically, well, you know, here's here's our grade level data. And we, we actually outperformed, you know, the other grade levels. But me personally, what I need to do is I need to make sure that I, you know, um, participate in a small group reading circle every day instead of going to recess. Um, until my scores improve and I need to make sure that I sit in the front of class to reduce distractions because that was the specific plan for that kid and I think we get sometimes we get so caught up in you know things being overly complicated that something as simple as keeping score and then what do I need to do to improve that score um, every day because I'm sure that there are people on that basketball team that you mentioned that j- simply need to improve when they get to the free throw line so when I'm at you know practice when we start doing our free throw drill I need to focus in here because I'm a capable scorer but when I get fouled I'm, I'm not so good at the free throw line so I definitely appreciate that um, example what's, what's the next example and if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And if you wait 20 years to, to give people honest feedback, that honest feedback is going to hurt a lot more than if you gave it to them a month into the job. Right. Because, and then the lot, yeah, go ahead. I would say, you know, to that point, I mean, and I think we touched on this in some of our private conversations, but when you don't, when you don't, like you said, when you don't give that person feedback, it, it does hurt over over time and it and it has a most times it does have a detriment a detrimental effect on the bottom line but i think part of the thing that we can overcome as leaders when we're dealing with that is the the dread leading up to it i don't think any of us as people enjoy um giving constructive feedback to to anyone we we really want to tell everybody how great they are um, just naturally, because, you know, people gravitate towards positivity and some of those Absolutely. things. But I think it's I think as leaders, we have to be OK with delivering a tough message. And you can still be you can still do that in love and kindness and mercy and grace and all of those things. But if because if you don't, your bottom line is going to be impacted negatively and I think as, as leaders, what we'll do sometimes in schools or in McDonald's, wherever you are, we will create a system that hides the, that hides the incompetent or diminishing actions of an individual just so we don't have to have that, that tough conversation. Tough conversation. With, with that. That, Go ahead. Yeah. And, that's where, and that's where creating a system or a culture, because the reality is in organizations, leadership changes, you know, principals change, superintendents change. So you have to create that culture and leave that lasting system in place to where, Hey, this is a place where we give our new hires feedback from day one. And it's not something that changes in a week or a month or a year, but after three or four years of every new hire receiving coaching and feedback from day one, that's when you change the culture. It's hard to change a culture where there wasn't coaching and feedback for 20 years. 
you've got to realize it's going to take time. And it's not people's fault if they've not been told how they can improve for 20 years and assumed everything they were doing was right. It's going to be tough for them not to take it personal. So you've, you've got to understand and not blame and not, um, you know, put too much on the other person. Just understand that this was the culture. We're changing the culture and that it's going to take time. And that gets into our last one where it's great leaders or great captains regulate their emotions. They yeah. don't let themselves get overly worked up. Mm. They're able to press pause. They're able to not take things as personal as maybe somebody who's not a great captain would. And they can pick and choose when they, they show that emotion mm -hmm. to a certain extent, that they're not going to be a prisoner to their emotions at the moment. So that's the seven key concepts from Sam Walker in the book, The Captain Class. Great captains, great leaders. They just keep coming. They have this doggedness. They are willing to commit intelligent fouls. They carry the water. They practice practical communication with their body language and how they speak to each other. They will do calculated things to show people that they care and protect their teammates. They speak and share uncomfortable truths, often using data and instantaneous feedback and they can regulate their emotions. So I thought this doesn't just apply on the sports field or, or on the court or the ice rink or the soccer pitch. This applies in the business world too. I think it applies everywhere. Do you have any closing remarks for us? I think based on some of the studies I shared about how important gratitude is, how important body language is, how important your connection with the people are, and then what Sam Walker wrote in the captain class is that if you want to be successful in the long term, you need leaders at every level. Mm -hmm. In the book, The Captain Class, he talked about the coach was very important, but sustained success was based on the captain that was on the field, bleeding and sweating and in the locker room, speaking to the team on their level every day. So I can be in charge of the school district, but if I don't have teachers within the district that are carrying my message and delivering it um, to their colleagues, Mm -hmm. then my leadership can only go so far. You need the people at every level sharing that message and displaying it in a way that a leader or a coach can't because they're the ones that are actually in the trenches. Right. Well, well, there you have it. Um, this is Jamal Crook for Dr. Shuttle reminding you that opportunities are everywhere. Peace.